So it's like an introduction to the book of Acts. And in the flesh, I have to make a, a, an apology because it was last week was kind of gritty. You know, I mentioned some things that were relatively gritty and uh, but in the spirit, I make I make no apologies. You know, sometimes certain things have have to be said. And uh, and so I say it, you know, and uh, my vernacular isn't uh, as uh, eloquent as I would like it to be in, in harsh matters and difficult matters, you know. Um, but in the spirit, I, I make no apologies, you know. It's that, that contrast of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Lord, and, you know, with women, with men. And, you know, we're going to see something so incredibly beautiful in the book of Acts. So incredibly beautiful. Insanely beautiful in the book of Acts. And a lot of people today, they say, oh, you know, the uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, that was for that dispensation. It was only for that time period. And, you know, all I say to those individuals is show me. Show me where in the Bible, you know, the Lord puts an expiration date on the work of the Holy Spirit. But I look at the book of Acts and we're going to study it more and more. And, you know, we, we're going to see these passages in the in the book of Acts. And if you take the church in the book of Acts and you measure it against the churches that you see in today, you know, the, the mainstream America, mainstream Vancouver, mainstream Clark County, it's night and day, night and day. Because you have a lot of hirelings. Who will say, oh, yeah, the Bible says this, uh, but you tie the $100,000 a year to the church. So I'm not going to correct you on this. I'm not going to say anything about this. So go ahead. Go ahead and, you know, continue in your carnality. When no, you know, a little leaven leavens the bunch. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I kind of feel weird sometimes because it's the Lord's church. It's his bride. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, like a how dare you, how dare you, how dare you kind of guy. But when you see a church where it's like all oh, the carnality, it's like there's no power. No power. It's like, you know, we all have flashlights. You know, the power goes out, you know, and we're getting into the winter season. So, you know, the power might go out. And we all have flashlights. And it's like, okay, we need the flashlight, you hit the little switch or turn it on and you have light to see. But what if there's no batteries in there? Yeah, you can have a flashlight. Everything is fully functional in terms of the wiring is good, the light bulb is good. But there's no batteries, there's no power. No power whatsoever. And I'll put it in other terms. No oil in the lamp. And that's what you see in the church today. There's no power. And everybody says, oh, you know, Satan is out to get me. Satan is doing this. Satan is doing this. And it's like, I'm sorry, but I don't see the works of Satan. You know, and not to give him any credit at all, you know, or not to have sympathy for the devil. But it's like, you know, that's kind of the work of your hands. Your carnal nature. Not yielding to the word of God. And you know, it's the work of your hands. I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say. You can say that Satan is, you know, doing this and you know, all kinds of things oppressing you in in this manner. But, you know, what's up with this crack pipe, you know? 
Why do you still have these things? Why do you still keep in contact with this lady? Why do you still do this? Why do you still do this? It's the work of your hands. There's no power. You have a flashlight, but there's no batteries in your flashlight. Oh, that's... What do you mean? You know, you're so judgmental. You don't have oil in your lamp, brother. Get oil in your lamp. You know, repent. Humble yourself. Yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord will give you batteries. The Lord will give you oil for your lamp. Oh, you're so crazy. I'm going to go to, you know. We have a podcast now, so I can't say names. I'm going to go to Ross Rhodes. <laughs> I didn't, legally, I didn't say the name. So all these people, it's like, no, you know, you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All of us, myself included. So we can have batteries for our flashlights. So we can have oil for our lamps. That's what you see in the book of Acts. And last week was a little gritty, especially talking about, you know, female-male relationships in marriage. Because it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine inside the church. Because it's to say, you know, you look at these women in the church and how the Lord used them to ignite the men. You know, the men who were scaredy cats. And how the Lord used them to as like, you know, uh, jumper cables. But what if these women were told, you know, what if they had, you know, I'm kind of speaking facetiously, but what if these women had a, a Calvinist teacher who says, wife, submit to your husband no matter what? Would they have prepared the ointment? Would they have prepared the, 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 the oils? Would they have prepared the aromatics? Would they have gone to the tomb? But no, in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, in their own personal honoring of Jesus Christ. They went to the tomb. Even if it would cost them their lives, they went to the tomb. Even if the religious leaders would say, hey, kill those women. Even if the Romans would say, hey, you know, we're guarding the tomb. If you get near, we're going to kill you. They get near, boom, we're going to kill you. They still went to the tomb in honoring, their own personal honoring of the Lord. And it's beautiful. So here in, in the book of, if, if you turn with me to the book of John, in uh, cha uh, chapter 20, John 20. So it's a, a little continuation of where we left off last week. Except in a, in a different book. And it's also an introduction to the book of Acts. Next week, Lord willing, we'll start Acts chapter 1, verse 1. But here in John 20, verse uh, 15, this is, you know, in other Gospels, the, the, it's, 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 it's revealed that there are other women. But here, Brother John captures Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. And in verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you, why are you weeping? You know, it's like, you know, actually in verse 14, it says, now when she had saw this, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to her in verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you had carried, if you have carried him away, tell me 
where you have laid him and I will take him away. I love this so much. Beautiful, beautiful Mary Magdalene. Because, you know, it's like, remember, it's like there, there's no one to help her. You know, I mean, there were other women there in accordance with the other gospels. But here we're looking at Mary and, you know, it's like she tells him, like, I'm going to carry him away. I mean, for the women here, sisters in the Lord, one of whom is my wife. I mean, picture yourself carrying a body, a human body, a male. You know, it's like, it's very difficult, very difficult. It's difficult for a man to do, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a feminist or anything, but it's difficult for a guy to do. But for a female, it's like, you know, picture yourself. I don't know how old Mary is. I don't know if she's got a hurt back or if she's got a hurt ankles or whatever. But picture yourself, you know what? I don't care if it's going to cost me my life. Hey, I'm going to take him away. Tell me, where, did, where, have you, where have you put him? Where have you laid him? And I will do it. And here she's about to realize that he's totally fine. He's alive. And he's risen again. Just as the angel told her. Like we studied last week. And in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary! Exclamation point. Can you imagine what, I mean, how beautiful that would be if, if I was like, you know, like in a tree, like just watching, observing what was happening. I'd be like bawling like a baby. How beautiful this is. Mary and that familiar voice. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. That familiar voice. Could it be? Could it be my Lord? And then she realizes, oh my goodness, look what happens here. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Just the, the sheer shock of it. The total shock, like, oh my goodness. She hears the familiar voice and she turns around and she realizes, oh my goodness. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. You know, and you read that and it's like, okay, in accordance with this translation, you know, in accordance with the translation from the Greek, it's like, which is a, also a translation from the Aramaic. It's like, wait a second. It's kind of harsh to say it that way. Don't cling to me. But, you know, I see it as something insanely beautiful, insanely beautiful. Because you see a picture here when Jesus is telling her, don't cling to me. You know what you see with Mary and Jesus Christ? You see no daylight. She's straight up like there's no daylight. That's one of my hardcore exhortations to all of us. Let there be no daylight between you and Jesus Christ individually. Yeah, I like, you know, exhortating uh, uh, families, exhorting families. And, you know, encouraging families. But today, you know, I speak individually. Let there be no daylight between you and Jesus Christ. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Young, old, it doesn't matter. No daylight. And that's what I love so much about Mary. This intimacy that she has with the Lord. You know, and it's such a, tr like, it, it, it trips me out so much because, you know, later in, in, in the book of Acts, we're going to see how the bride of Christ, the church, is 
for lack of a better word, clinging to Jesus Christ, except it's in the Spirit. In the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here he's saying, don't cling to me, like physically. And here's the reason why. For I have not yet ascended to my Father. I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father. You know, this is the lesser known Great Commission. The lesser known Great Commission. There's the commission that we studied last week when Jesus Christ says, go into the, you know, go into the world and make disciples. But then there's the lesser known commission too, to the women. Go to the brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father. So the Lord used these women. The Lord used Mary Magdalene as straight up jumper cables to the men. That's why it trips me out sometimes, you know. You talk to husbands, or, you know, I talk to husbands. You know, how you doing? You know, the husband tells me, yeah, I'm good. Oh, how's your wife? Oh, yeah, my wife is such an awesome helper. She does this, she does that, she does this, she does that, she does this. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But you could hire all that out. You know, how is your woman helping you? How is your wife helping you align with Jesus Christ? How is your wife Helping you, being a helper in terms of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a helper. A woman that is like jumper cables to her husband. A wife who is jumper cables to her husband. That's a helper. You talk to a man, it's like, yeah, my wife is a good cook. You know, my wife does this. She's awesome at this. She's awesome at this. You know, oh, but what about, you know, what about when you're watching football on TV? Or what about when you're watching a movie, you know, and it's like, you know, does your wife say like, you know, turn that off? Yeah, you know, she's always on my case. She says, turn this off. She's always on my case. We get in a big fight, you know, and I hate it. And I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What do you mean praise the Lord? We got in a fight. Well, your wife is helping you. Your wife is helping you align with Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no, no. She's supposed to submit to me. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's my beef in the church. Because the Lord uses women as jumper cables. The Lord uses children as jumper cables. To whoever he wants to reach. And with that blind adherence to, you know, wives submit to your husband, you know what that is? You know, with no submission to Jesus Christ, you know what that is? That's saying, hey, take a, put away your jumper cables. And I don't like that. This is, uh, this is like a, I guess in a sense, someone could say, hey, it sounds like you have an axe to grind. And you know what? So be it. Maybe I do have an axe to grind. The Lord used old people as jumper cables to Israel. You remember when Moses was like, you know, Lord, who do I tell them sent me? He says, tell them I am who I am that I am. And then he's about to go into town and the Lord says, hey, go to the old people. Go to the old people. Moses goes to the Moses was like jumper cables to the old people. And the old people were like jumper cables to the to Israel. And what happens is, you know, in ministries today, oh, the old people, they're dying. You know, they're going to be dead in five years, 10 years. 
Let's just put them over here and not worry about them. Let's focus on this next generation. Let's focus on, you know, the, these uh, 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 millennials, you know, let's focus on this. It's like, wait a second. You know, how about, you know, you let the Holy Spirit lead. Let the Lord lead. And it's so insane because the Lord uses these people who in the body, who anywhere is aligning himself or herself with Jesus Christ. Who is that man? Who is that woman? And you know, a lot of times those are the ones that the Lord wants to use as jumper cables. You see it in Moses. You see it in Samuel. You see it in beautiful Mary. Straight up jumper cables. So maybe I do have an axe to grind. And so look what happens here. You know, the Lord says, you know, he says to Mary, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to and your God. Then you start to realize, you know, when Jesus Christ dies on the cross and he says to tell us that it is finished. And he takes his last breath. The earth shook. Big storm. And then what else happened in the holy place, in the holy of holies? The veil was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. The veil was torn from top to bottom. And if you remember our study a couple Wednesdays ago, that's the mercy seat. In the Holy of Holies was where the mercy seat was. Where the Lord says, you know, it is there that I will speak to you and I will, I will meet with you and I will speak with you. It was only for the high priest to go in once a year. But then the veil was torn from top to bottom. And you know what? There's a new high priest, Jesus Christ, in the order of Melchizedek. And the Lord speaks through him, and he is God. Remember, it's like, you know, my Lord and my God, when Thomas, doubting Thomas, and all of a sudden he says, my Lord and my God, because Jesus Christ said, I and my Father are one. It's so, you can't explain this to carnal people. Carnal people can't understand this. You say, okay, who's the carnal? Well, I was carnal at one point in my life. That's why it's, it's a decision that everybody has to make for himself or herself. You know, and I still wrestle with carnality. And I'm going to venture to say you do too. It's part, we're not, we're not in our glorified bodies just yet. A little bit more time to go. In verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And you see, see uh, beautiful Mary Magdalene. She's like straight up jumper cables to the men. Not just Mary Magdalene, but other women too. Jumper cables. She goes into the room, says, I have seen the Lord. I'll tell you spiritually what it means. She takes the jumper cables, puts them on her heart. She takes the other end and then puts them, boom, on the disciples. I mean, have you ever like started a car? You get inside your car and it's like you turn the key and then nothing happens. It's like, oh man, I need a jump. And then, you know, you ask somebody in the parking lot, you know, or you, you know, you call your wife or you call your husband, you know, and then they pull their car in front of yours, open the hood, put jumper cables on their batteries, put attach them to yours. And then like, boom, you turn the key and it starts. 
That's what men can or women can do to men. That's what men can do to women. That's what children can do in a family. I talked to these young people before. A Catholic home. And the child comes, hey, Jay, I don't know what to do. My family, everybody's Catholic. They don't like it. We get in family arguments when I go to church. What do I do? It's like, you know what? Your mission field is your home. Pray before every meal. And do it out loud. And pray in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, pray for your mom. Pray for your dad. When they pray to Mary, don't you dare pray to Mary. Don't pray to Mary. Pray to Jesus Christ. And pray in his name. And it's like, wow, you know, it's like the mission field can be two people, a mom and a dad. We think of in terms of the mission field being, you know, like in the book of Acts, you think of like, wow, I want to save 2,000 people. You know, and it's like, if the Lord does that, praise be to the Lord. But be obedient. You know, revival begins with one. Let that one be you. And then let it blow up from there. You know, and when you know, Jesus Christ told her, don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to my father. Now turn with me to John 16. John 16. When Jesus Christ said, you know, I have not yet ascended to my father. Notice, you know, always remember that the ascension of Jesus Christ comes with a promised gift. What is that gift? We're going to look at it here. In verse 4. Jesus Christ, this is before he was killed. He's in the upper room. John 13 to John 17. It's a very, very beautiful passage. Read it. John 13 to John 17 because it's a conversation that the Lord has with his disciples. He also prays for them. And he also prays for Christians. He prays for you and me today. And you say, what do you mean he prayed for for me and you. In John 17 verse 20. He says I do not pray for these alone. But also for those who will believe in me. Through their word. You know who that is? You and me. So going back to John 16. In verse 4. The Lord says this. But these things I have told you. That when the time comes. You may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I, I go away to him who sent me. You know, remember like what we just read in 2017, in chapter 20, verse 17, when the Lord is like, don't cling to me because I have not as, as yet ascended to my father. And here in verse five of chapter 16, the Lord is saying, but I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Remember all these prior questions that the disciples would ask when Jesus Christ would say something. You know, he would say, like, where are you going? Where are you going? It's inquisitive nature. But here, that no questions. And he says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The realization of, whoa, the Messiah is leaving. Our Lord is leaving. These are things that are several days later. What's going to happen is that the disciples, they'll start to remember these things. They'll start to have recollection and realize this is what the Lord was speaking about in the upper room. This is what he was talking about. 
Remember the men who were in hiding? And then all of a sudden, Mary comes in with her jumper cables. And then all of a sudden, they turn the key of their heart. And then, boom, it's like their motor's running. I'm speaking metaphysically, but you get my drift. And then look what happens. We're going to study it more as we continue in the book of Acts. We're going to see exactly what these men do. And not just men, but other women. And you're going to see the church just blow up. And so he says in verse 6, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. You think like, what in the world is happening here? It's to our advantage. I mean, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. It's to my advantage. It's to our advantage that he goes away. And he says, yes, here. Because look what happens. For if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Pericletus in the Greek. You know, it translates as the intercessor, the counselor, the advocate, and the comforter. It's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That's why he told Mary, Mary, don't cling to me. You know, let there be no daylight between you and Jesus Christ. Male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. No daylight between you and Jesus Christ. But Mary Magdalene, when she had, there was no daylight between her and Jesus Christ. You know, it was in the flesh. And when I say in the flesh, because he hadn't yet gone to the Father. And he says, when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the helper. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the Spirit, let there be no daylight between you and Jesus Christ. Cling to him. Night and day, cling to him. Cleave yourself unto him. And I'm speaking individually. And so he says in verse 8, And when he has come, speaking about the Holy Spirit, the helper, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is part and parcel of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. These are things that the, the world doesn't like these words. Conviction. It's a word that is not well received today. Convict is to confute, to admonish, to convict, to convince, to tell a, fa a fault, to reprove, and to rebuke. That's what convict means. But yet, it's still part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you ever feel conviction in your heart? I do. You read the Bible and you feel the conviction. It's sometimes it's like a little bit. Sometimes it's like a million pounds are on your back. And you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I say, like, Lord, forgive me. And then all of a sudden, it's like the weight is lifted. And you know, it's so cool because you see, it's very personal. Very personal. It's not about religion. At all, in any way, shape, or form, is it about religion. Religion is just, it's garbage. It's 100% relationship. 
100%. Of sin, in verse 9, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And I think this is so powerful. You cannot bear them now. You know why? Because they haven't received the helper yet. Jesus Christ knows their limitations. In several days from this particular passage, several more, more days, the man who will be reignited by the women, then they can start to bear these things. And that's what's so powerful about truth and understanding. Because they receive truth, they receive understanding, they receive power in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then they go on the mission. You see how it works. A lot of times, there's a lot of people who place emphasis on the mission, which isn't a bad thing at all. You know, remember, we're called to make disciples, just as Jesus Christ said, not make converts. To go and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Every Christian. But then at the same time, people, they emphasize the mission over the truth of Scripture. They emphasize the mission over the understanding of Scripture. And then they emphasize the mission over the power of the Holy Spirit. Very dangerous to do. Very, very dangerous to do. You know why? Because Satan is a fisherman too. It's like taking a little 10-year-old boy, a little 10-year-old girl, and saying, here, go on the front lines in Afghanistan. See how dangerous that is? It's not to say, hey, the mission is a bad thing to do. The mission is a beautiful thing to do. But you take a 10-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, and you say, here, go to the front lines in Afghanistan. You know how dangerous that is? Very, very dangerous. And that's where the emphasis is placed. Yeah, go on the mission field. Go on the mission field. Do this. No, there has to be truth and understanding. And then there has to be the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you see all these people, they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on the mission field. I'm going to go work in this industry, you know, and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to help all these people. And then a year later, they're back to the crack pipe. Whoever got, went to the mission field. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go minister to this group of people. And then two years later, Satan was the fisherman. And, you know, what happens to the name of the Lord? The Lord is mocked. Oh, you're going to come at me with this Jesus Christ stuff? You're so stupid. You're so dumb. Remember how we used to party back in the day? You remember how we used to get drunk, you know, and do all sorts of crazy things back in the day? No, I don't want to come with you. I don't, I don't want to take what you have to offer. But no, you come with me. Let's go get high. Let's go get drunk. Let's go get wasted. And this person who was on the mission field, all of a sudden gets sucked back into the old lifestyle. Remember, when a demon leaves a guy, or when an evil spirit is, when, he's, uh, when the guy is cleansed from the evil, it's only a matter of time before whatever evil that was, before, before it comes back with more. Not just himself. 
He comes back with his own friends that are worse than that guy. And if that vessel is not prepared for a fight, if that vessel does not have his shield up and the sword out and, you know, the, the helmet down, he's caught up. He gets caught, sucked back into whatever lifestyle that was. The Bible teaches the state of that man is worse than the beginning. That's what the Bible teaches. The state of that man is worse. And you know, it blows me away because these are things that the Bible teaches. But there's no understanding of truth. And then on top of that, there's no power of the Holy Spirit. The same exact thing applies with taking a 10-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, and saying, here, go on the front lines of, of Afghanistan. In the flesh, I'm speaking in the carnal nature. It's ludicrous to even think about. But to take any vessel, young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter, to give them truth. And then all of a sudden, they start to receive understanding. And then something else happens, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, boom, they grow, matriculate. <coughs> now you're ready for the front lines of Afghanistan. Now you're ready for the front lines of the mission field. Then go and make disciples. Not the other way around. Not to place emphasis on the mission without the power. Not to place emphasis on the mission without truth and understanding. That's why Jesus Christ here in verse 12 says... I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And then he says this in verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. You know, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verse 21, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came down and it was a pillar of fire by night. In the New Testament, in accordance with the New Covenant, you know what you see? You see tongues of fire that come down on the disciples in, in another room, in another house. That's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2. You see, the Holy Spirit is alive and well. Old Testament and New Testament. Old Covenant and New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is alive and well. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It is revealed in verse 8. To convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You see? This is the helper. All these things. You think about, like, I watch a lot of, like, space programs. You know, not like Star Trek or anything. But I meant, like, like Nova, you know, like the science stuff. And you see these astrophysicists. And I think it's so cool to hear these astrophysicists. To even admit that we know nothing about the, the realm of space. The only thing we know is about 5% of what is out there. That's, that's all we know. And to hear that, it's like, man, you're basing all of these scientific findings on 5% of knowledge of what you perceive to be 5%. What if it's really 3% or 2% or 0%? And they're basing all these things that today are called fact on a mere fraction of what is known. And yet, you know, they call us crazy. They call the Christians crazy. They've always called Christians crazy, you know. 
Now I'm at the scientists are saying all kinds of things, you know. If your boy thinks he's a girl, go ahead. You know, he can be a girl. Now it's to the point where it's just so ludicrous. Like, it's crazy. The world is upside down. And all these things are written. These are things, conditions, signs of the times. Before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Redemption draws near. But yet the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is saying here in verse 13, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's why he told Mary, Mary, don't cling to me. Mary, you know, I love you too. I love you too. I'm so madly in love with you, Mary. But you know what? I got to ascend to my father. And when I ascend to my father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's a different kind of clinging to Jesus Christ. In the spirit. He says, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You see this beautiful oneness with the Lord? Oneness with the Lord. By the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, speaking individually, you cling to Jesus Christ. And you know what binds you and Jesus Christ together? It's like the Holy Spirit. The helper. And there's going to be times when you're going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't shun those things. There's going to be times, if you're like me, there's going to be times where you totally feel like dirt. Like, oh man, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. What happened? It's like, Lord, forgive me. Don't shun those things. It's the process of holiness. It's how we're made holy. I mean, let the conviction of the Holy Spirit be confirmation to you that his hand is upon you. When you feel the conviction, I mean, like, like if I were talking to like a, a, a four-year-old child, it's like, oh, you know, my dad spanked me, you know, and it hurt. And it's like, you know, don't feel sad. You don't know, feel very happy. Because, yes, your father loves you, but let that be confirmation that, you know, you're under his care. Let that be confirmation that you're under his care. And that's what I say in the spirit, too, to all of us, myself included. When you feel the chastising of the Lord, when you feel the conviction of the spirit, let it be confirmation that his hand is upon you, that he desires to, you know, correct you. And so he says in verse uh, 15, all things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You know, remember, all authority is given to Jesus Christ as Lord. And so he gives the promise of the helper here. What we studied in verse 16, the promise of the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which what we're going to study more in the book of Acts. You're going to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to see the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see the move of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to blow you away. Then you hear these people, you know, you talk to somebody on the phone. You know, oh, yeah, I went to church today. You know, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, how the people did this and the Holy Spirit did this through the people. And then they're going to say, oh, yeah, you know, I was listening to this other guy, you know, on the radio. And he said that those things, that was for that, that dispensation. 
It was only for that time period. And you say, man, you're crazy. You're crazy. You are nuts. Why are you going to follow what that guy says? Why don't you follow what the Bible says? What do you mean? I'm offended. I'm offended. What do you mean? Show me in the Bible where there's an expiration date on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Show me, brother. Show me, sister. You won't find it. You will not find it. So maybe what you're listening to is wrong. Maybe what you're subjecting your mind to, maybe what you're subjecting your family to is 100% pure rubbish. No. Let me tell you a better way. You see, it's so... The Word of God is like... I like there's the acronym B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. That's all it is, basic instructions. Emphasis on basic. It's very basic. You don't need to understand rocket science to understand the Word of God. But you do need to humble yourself. Humble your heart. And so turn with me to John 21 now. Remember, this is introduction to the book of Acts, but it's more of a continue. Well, it is that, but it's also a continuation of last week. So if I could give like a, you know, two or three hour sermon, you know, we just broke it up over days, a couple days. Not to shame anybody, but back in the day, what they used to do, like in the early church, the teacher would come in, the pastor would come in and sit down. Everybody else would be standing. The only one sitting would be the teacher. And the guy would come in and start to open up the scrolls and start to read and teach. And they do that for five or six hours. Not to shame anybody, but I'm just saying, you know. It, it, so people say, wow, you know, that was 40 minutes long. You know, it's like, you know, we're kind of spoiled nowadays in, in today's culture. Little side note. So in John, you know, never forget, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read a passage from Matthew 27, 26, Matthew 26. Actually, Matthew, oh yeah, Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, this is in the upper room before he was on the cross. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's where we're going to pick up in Acts 1 next week. Lord willing, in there at Galilee. Verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. I will never be made to stumble. Then fast forward to verse 56. The end, the last sentence in verse 56. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They all fled Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became one. There was zero around him. He became him and him alone. But Peter, in verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance. And so he's following Jesus Christ at a distance. And then, you know, certain people would come up to him. 
In verse 69, it says, A servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And then, you know, in um, verse 71, there was another girl who saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And then the next verse, Surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. I wonder what his speech was like. Maybe he would use certain vernacular that the Lord used. But he immediately changed it in verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear. He says, I don't want anybody to even think that I've been walking with the Lord. So I'm going to go back to the old nature. I'm going to speak like I used to speak and start cussing. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. And look at the end of verse 75. So he went out and wept bitterly. Because he remembered the words of the Lord, saying, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. And he went and wept bitterly. Now, let's go to John 21. John 21. In John 21, verse 12, you know, these, a, a little precursor to what happens in verse 12, the expert fishermen, remember, they were, a lot of them were fishermen. Some was, you know, tax collector, doctor, you know, but a lot of them were fishermen. These expert fishermen, they are unable to catch fish, unable to catch fish. They're in a boat. They're unable to catch fish. And all of a sudden they see a guy walking along the coast. And he says, he screams out to them, hey, take your net up out of the water and put it on the other side. And these expert fishermen, they say, okay, take it up from the left side, drop the net on the right side. And then all of a sudden there was so much fish, so much fish. The expert fishermen were told by another where the fish were. Put your net on the right side. And then one of them cries out, hey, it's Jesus, it's our Lord. And you know what Peter does? He jumps out. He jumps out and he swims. And then he gets to the shore and he's like, Lord. This is the, at, at one point, you know, several days prior, a denier of Jesus Christ. And he left and wept bitterly. And here he's no longer denying Jesus Christ. And so, you know, they take the fish, they bring it to shore, they have a nice meal. It's breakfast. Look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. You know, in body form, Jesus Christ is having a meal with them. You know, sometimes people say, oh, Jesus was in spirit. No, he was eating a meal with them. They could touch him. He even told Thomas, hey, put your finger right here. In body form. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? These are things that were, you know, it was revealed to the women first. What we studied last week, what we talked a little bit about today with Mary Magdalene. And here you have the women. This is the aftermath of the men being reignited by the women. Remember, they came back. Hey, you guys, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. 
the beautiful, beautiful women, they go and the Lord uses them like jumper cables to the man. Hey, wake up. Snap out of it. Wake up. That's why I have this beef with male-female relations in the church. Because Satan gets away with murder. A husband says, you know, a husband's like, wife, submit to my authority. You know, a Calvinist husband. Wife, submit to my authority. Lutheran, you know, wife, submit to my authority. And, you know, other uh, denominations too. But hardcore wives submit to my authority. And, you know, I'm going to go do my drugs. I'm going to go do my sex. I'm going to go do my alcohol, whatever. And wives submit to my authority. How can the wife in doing that with no submission to Jesus Christ, how can she use her jumper cables? She can't. Because there's no submission to Jesus Christ. That's why the, these people, they say, hey, the Bible says, wives submit to your husband. Yes, it is a biblical truth, but it is also written. You shall have no other gods before you. No other gods before you. But a husband can go off and do craziness and a wife stays submitted to Jesus Christ. And in so doing, you, you know, you say, you have the, the children are cleansed and you sanctify the husband. Why? Because you're jumper cables. It's like the new wine flows into the new wineskin, which is the wife. You see this mess? People follow their doctrine. You know what I call it? I call it a trick from Satan. Because where does the new wine go? And Satan's laughing all the way to hell. You know, the wine can't be in this family. I got this family. And then you have the wife. Subjected to her husband and she's like a little slave. But look at beautiful, beautiful Peter. Who has been, you know, the jumper cables of the beautiful women have been attached to beautiful Peter. Now look at him. Instead of staying on the boat and saying, hurry, you know, paddle here. You know, turn on the motor. Speaking facetiously because they didn't have motors. You know, hurry up. Let's go over here. Let's go see Jesus. He was like, forget that. I'm out of here. He jumps off the boat, swims, and he's like, oh, Lord, I love you. No longer denying Christ. He has been reignited. The women, you know, used by the Lord to reignite the men. Verse 13, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Remember, they're having a meal. It's breakfast time. They're having a meal. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And you know what's so beautiful? He's serving. You know, you see the humble servant, even in his lordship, even in his lordship, even in his kingship, he's serving. Strong message to us as Christians. Strong message to me as pastor. Verse 14, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first time was in the house where, you know, the men were hiding. The second time was still in the house, except it was eight days later where, you know, Thomas wasn't there the first time, but Th Thomas was there the second time. That's why the disciples, they were like, hey, Thomas, we saw Jesus Christ. Thomas was like, you guys are crazy. 
I'm not going to believe your account. Whatever you have to say, I'm not going to believe it until I see Jesus Christ. And I put my finger in the hole in his side. And I see it with my own eyes. The hole's in his hands. Eight days later. I don't know if there's any correlation, but, you know, eight days is the time period be between uh, circumcision. You know, in accordance with the law. Exactly eight days later, Jesus Christ appeared in the same house and Thomas is there. And then he is circumcised of heart. Because he can now see and Jesus Christ tells him, hey, Thomas, put your finger over here. You know, how did Jesus Christ know? Like, hey, you know, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger here. Jesus Christ was there. He heard. That's what's so powerful. You know, the eyes of the Lord, the ears of the Lord, the heart of the Lord, he's always with you. Always. You might not see him. But he said the same thing to Nathaniel. When, you know, the, Jesus made disciples and, you know, he called the disciples to him. And, and you know, the, the, the brothers were like, you know, Nathaniel or Nathan, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Nathan, Nathan. The Messiah is here. He's like, you guys are crazy. The Messiah is not here. And then all of a sudden he sees Jesus Christ. And he was like testing him. Nathan was testing the Lord. And he's like, you say the Messiah. Why do you say you're the Messiah? You know, and then Jesus Christ says, hey, you know, Nathan, I saw you when you were praying underneath the tree. I, I was there. And Nathan, all by himself praying. And the only one who could have known that was the Lord. He was the only one who could have known and he says, my Lord and my God. You see, it's so powerful. You know, no matter what, the Lord is with you. And so it says, uh, uh, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. In verse 15, you know, what's so powerful here, it's like even in denying Jesus, there is opportunity for grace and mercy. You know, and... I'll explain that a little bit more. Remember Peter. When Peter denied the Lord. You know, I don't, and Jesus Christ, he told the Lord. Lord, I will never deny you. Even if everybody deny you, not me, Lord. And then Jesus told him, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then, you know, the girl asked him, hey, you're a Christian or you were following Jesus. No, 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 that wasn't me. No, nope, not me. Second time. No, 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 you, I saw you. You were with the disciples. You're one of them. No, 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 absolutely no. It's not me. And then somebody else. Your speech betrays you. You are a follower of Jesus. He says, okay, my speech betrays me. Okay, I'm going to go back to my old speech. You know, expletive, 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 expletive. No way I was not a follower of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, the rooster crows. You read other gospels, other accounts, and it says Jesus Christ was right in the distance. They made eye contact. He looked at him. Jesus Christ with his bruised body, his beaten body, and he makes eye contact with Peter. And then Peter remembered. It's like, wow. And then he wept bitterly. Even in denying Jesus Christ, there is still opportunity for grace and mercy. You know why I say that? Because you learn, wow, God was right. 
God was right. The Bible is true. The Bible is right. You know, you could have all the sex in the world. And you get syphilis, you get gonorrhea, you get AIDS, and then you learn, wow, God was right. You could do all the drugs in the world. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're like a freak. No hair, your hair's falling out, your skin looks like garbage, you know, your eyes are like all shot, pupils the size of, you know, basketballs, and you look like a total freak, and then you realize, wow, God was right. I should have listened to the word. I should have listened to these Christians who were telling me to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm not advocating sinful lifestyles. But what I am, what I am advocating is hope. Hope for the lost. Because Peter, in denying Jesus Christ, he wept bitterly and then he realized the Lord was right. What have I done? I denied the Lord. Now look at him. He straight up jumps off the boat and he swims. You see the love that he has for the Lord. And so here in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, there's a little side conversation that happens. They're with the disciples and Jesus is there, but he has a little side conversation with with Peter, Jesus and Peter. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? You know, I'm going to say something a little hardcore and I get a lot of flack for this. And I have received a lot of flack from this. If the hierarchy of your heart is out of order, you know, the Lord asked him, do you love me more than these? I don't know if he's talking about the people. I don't know if he's talking about the food, the meal that they just ate. I don't know if he's talking about, you know, stuff in Peter's life. But the question still remains, do you love me more than these? You know, remember in Matthew, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read really quick a couple verses. This is what the Lord says. In Matthew 10, verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. These are That's hardcore. Straight up, everything I just read in Matthew 10, verse 34 through 39, red letters. It's the words of our Lord. If you have beef with what I say, I'm just the messenger. That's all I am. I'm just the delivery boy. And the Lord asked Peter a question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Makes you wonder. Maybe the hierarchy of Peter's heart was way out of whack when he denied the Lord. 
What did he love more than the Lord that caused him to deny the Lord? But after weeping bitterly, after that sorrow, you know, allow sorrow to have its work in your heart. If there's ever a moment where you sorrow because of sin, you sorrow because you denied the Lord. And you can rejoice because it's like, wow, the Lord was right. I should have listened to him. And then you realize, I don't love anybody or anything more than the Lord. Because you learn. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. I'll tell you personally what I think is the biggest in this statement, feed my lambs. The biggest statement, the biggest word here is my, capital M and Y, my. Everybody that the Lord allows me to teach are not my people. Everybody belongs to the Lord. And Peter is like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Same question, same answer. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, you know, it's the breakfast is over now. You know what? You know, they had their meal. Breakfast is over. You know, with the disciples, it's all over. And there's this side conversation happening with the Lord and Peter. And you see this beautiful intimacy. No daylight between Peter and the Lord. Beautiful intimacy. And yet, the third question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Same as the previous question. Peter was grieved now. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. What's so beautiful about the book of Acts is you're still going to see Peter, but you're going to see a different Peter in the book of Acts than what we just read in, you know, in, in, in Matthew when he denied the Lord. Yes, he denied Jesus Christ. Yes, he denied the Lord three times. But you know what happened? Repentance came. He goes and he wept, weeps bitterly. You know, Judas also denied the Lord. Except there was no humility. There was pride. And he still felt sorrow. But without humility, you know what he did? He committed suicide. Peter, he felt sorrow in denying the Lord. And repentance came. That's what's so powerful. You know, rather than being the author and finisher of your own story, there's a better way. There's a better way. It's to let the Lord take your heart, take your life, and place it in the pages of this book. Capital B, because the Word became flesh. Lord, you are the author and finisher of my life. This is what Peter is acknowledging here and is realizing here. Most assuredly, in verse 18, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. He was doing his own thing, speaking about Peter. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you 
and carry you where you do not wish. It's no longer Peter's own will. No longer Peter's own will. And it reminds me a lot about Jacob. You remember Jacob? When, you know, he would always say in the early passages of Genesis, you know, the God of my father, the God of my father, the God of my father. And then he wrestled with the Lord. You know, and it's like the next morning he, he's done wrestling with the Lord. His hip was out of socket. And the Lord says, no longer do I call you Jacob, but I call you Israel, governed by God. And Jacob, at that point, he no longer acknowledges the Lord as the God of my father. He acknowledges the Lord as my God. That's a point in life where we all have to come to. Who is Jesus Christ in your life? Is he number one? Or is he number five? Is he number one? Or is he number two? You know, and it blows me away because this is hardcore. What we read in Matthew, what in Matthew 10, what Jesus Christ says. In verse 19, then he spoke, this he spoke signifying, but what death he would glorify God. You know, these are things that Peter was not ready to receive before. Now he's ready. Yes, he denied the Lord. But in his denial of the Lord, in his repentance, in the sorrow that he felt, never again. Never again. Peter's like, I am never denying the Lord. I've done it. I've tasted of that fruit before. And I'm never denying the Lord again. Historically, when they came to kill Peter, they were going to put him on a cross. And he pleaded with them, no, don't hang me on the cross. I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Hang me upside down. And historically, in accordance with church history, that's how he died. Upside down. Because he was unworthy to die like the Lord. Even in his death, he didn't want to deny the Lord. Never again. I denied the Lord once. I denied the Lord twice, thrice. I denied the Lord the works on my hands, the filth of the path that I walked, the filth in my mind. Never again. You know, I've been called a cult leader. I've been called a home wrecker. I've been called crazy. I've been called dangerous by people you know. And I'm going to say something that's pretty hardcore. Following Jesus Christ is impossible, impossible if he is not number one. The hierarchy of your heart. Who's number one? Is it husband? Is it wife? Is it son? Is it daughter? If the answer is yes, following Jesus Christ is impossible. He has to be number one. Who is it that you love? Who is it that I love more than Jesus Christ? Oh, my husband. Oh, my wife. Oh, my son, my daughter, you know, my cousin. Drugs, sex, rock and roll. But if the answer is no one, all is well with your soul. 
and all will be well with your soul. But if he's not number one, then following him is impossible. And so look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. So they're like having a stroll after breakfast. Who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So they're walking. Jesus and Peter are walking. They're having intimacy, a special conversation. You know, where the Lord asks him, do you love me? And Peter, you know, answers and says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The Lord tells him, feed my sheep. He tells him, you know, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And then they're walking. Peter turns around, looks at this other guy who's John, looks at him, Lord, what about this guy? Jesus said to him, if I will or if I desire that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What about in your own life? In your relationship with Jesus Christ, in your intimacy with him, in your oneness with him, if there's ever in your mind or your heart when you're like, what about this guy? What about this guy, this guy, this girl, this girl, this lady, this lady, this old person, this young person? What about them? You know what I say? Who cares about them? What is that to you? You follow Jesus Christ. So many people, if your faith is dependent on anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ... It's fertile ground for deception. Fertile ground for deception. You, you know how many people, they take their faith and they hang it on the faith of another man, another woman, another pastor, an elder, a ministry. And when that pastor falls, he takes everyone with him. Hypocrites. People follow hypocrites. And it destroys their faith. Jesus Christ spoke about this. You know, if the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. You know what I say? Don't follow the blind. Don't follow the blind. Follow Jesus Christ. You know, that's what's so powerful about Paul. When he says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. It says a lot about Paul. You know, and you know, the Lord says, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things. It's revealed in Holy Scripture. That is John. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. It's Brother John. The revelator in Revelation. And they tried to kill him. Romans, they tried to kill him. And he wouldn't die. The Lord was gracious and kept him alive. And then he, gave, they, he gives him a vision. And he sees all these things. And he writes Revelation. The visions that he had. To give the church hope. 
See, how can there be hope in Revelation? There's a lot of destruction there. No, it's beautiful. You see the bride with the bridegroom, one. And he says in verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that not that even the, wor the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And now this is our precursor, our introduction to the book of Acts. You see the ascension of Jesus Christ, the promise of the helper, the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see the gospel going forth like crazy. Just as Jesus Christ said, to go into the world and make disciples. So we're going to end our study.